Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. That music will just touch your heart, as you know very well. Our focus today, this morning, is on worship. We start our time with focusing upon the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, his resurrection. After our time of prayer, we will observe the Lord's Supper in preparation. And I would ask you that uh, if this is the very first time that you've been here, that you take a guest card, fill it out, drop it in the offering boxes when you leave today so we can acknowledge your being with us, and we appreciate that so much. And as you prepare to do that, and as we pray, I would like to ask you, after I finish leading our prayer time, if you would continue to just have your heads bowed and prepare yourself, prepare your heart to observe the Lord's Supper. Join me in prayer, please. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us this morning. Father, we are a blessed people. We think about the wondrous love, the amazing grace that you have given us. When we didn't deserve it, and when our lives were dark, and we were confused, we didn't know which way to go. The hope and the light of our Lord Jesus Christ burst into our life. It may be through someone sharing the amazing grace and unconditional love that Christ presented upon the cross at Calvary and the empty tomb. It may have been from a sermon. It may have been from our parents. Father, whatever way that it came into our life and it filled us to give us an understanding that we had the free will to ask Christ into our lives so that he could eradicate our sin. And we have life everlasting, and a life of service with inner peace and joy throughout our days here. And so we are blessed people. And this morning, in humility and with complete commitment, help us to understand worship and to give you the only one who is worthy of our worship. Praise and honor and glory that only you deserve. And be with us now, Father, as each one of us prepare our hearts and our minds, as we prepare to observe the memorial table in remembrance of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 said, For I received this from the Lord, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance 
of me. So this is a table of remembrance, a time for us to reflect upon what Christ has done for us. Bill, I wonder if you might take the opportunity to lead us in prayer specifically about both the bread and the juice and its symbolism. May we pray. Our Father and our God, we love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. What better way to show your love for us than the sacrifice you gave of your only begotten Son going to the cross for us, buried and risen for us. So, Lord, we pause now to do this in remembrance of what you have done for us, given us that gift of eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.
symbolizing the broken body of Christ through all of the difficulty the night before, the time of beatings, blood that was lost, he endured it all. And then, on the cross at Calvary, the nail prints, his hands, his feet, his body just bludgeoned for you and me. And he was willing to do that. Jesus said, eat this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you the truth, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. The scripture went on to say, when they had sung a hymn, they went out. I'd like to ask you if you would to stand, and we're going to sing and praise God for what he has done for us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection.
Let us pray. Lord, we assemble together as the body of Christ to worship you. Help us in this special holy time with you to put aside the cares and troubles of this sinful world. We lift our voices of praise through music and words of exhortation by our pastor and worship leaders. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you instill within us the gift of the Holy Spirit to bring us into a closer relationship with you and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Today is a special time of celebration as we gather around the table to partake of the Lord's Supper, a holy time of worship, Lord, a memorial for Christ, your only begotten Son who showed us your great love and grace and gave his life for our salvation. Fill us with your Spirit as we open our hearts, Lord, and Hear the words of our pastor as he leads us. May the seed be planted to save a lost soul today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. 
among the nations. May the Lord add his blessing <coughs> to the reading of his word and give us When you prepared to come this morning for the 10.30 time of worship and celebration, how did you prepare yourself? Were you rushed to get out the door? Were you looking in anticipation? Were you focused upon the friendships that you were going to enjoy 
the fellowship time, maybe the cookies and the coffee. What was your preparation time? In fact, what does the phrase worship service mean to you? Does it mean that we get together at 1030? And so if we come together at 1030 and we join together in our service, that we actually worship God. A worship service does not happen merely at a certain predetermined time in our schedule. That's not when worship happens. It can. But just because it's in our schedule, we could have anyone come to this time and they could sing the songs, they could hear the sermon, they could be engaged in the Lord's Supper, and they leave unchanged. No different. You see, worship is an active response. It's an active response to God when we declare His worth. It is not passive, it is participative. It is not simply a mood, it is a response. It's not just a feeling, it's a declaration. To worship God is to describe Him and ascribe to Him supreme worth. So it is all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, because He alone is worthy. The late Robert Weber was a theologian in the areas of worship and the early church, and he wrote this, Worship is the weakest area of evangelical Christianity. We are strongest in the areas of evangelism and teaching and fellowship. And we are improving greatly in the area of servanthood, that is, application of the gospel to social needs. And in the ministry of healing, counseling, and care for the emotional needs of people. But depth in the area of worship is badly lacking. We hardly know where to begin because we have lost nearly all contact with the past. An understanding of what worship is, that worship is not just at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. And even if you're here, you may not worship at 10.30. Worship has so much to do with how we focus upon God. Karl Barth, the eminent German theologian, said... Christian worship is the most monumentous, the most urgent, the most glorious action that we can take in the human life. Interesting, because in contrast, Malachi, that eminent Hebrew prophet, said that worship is so repugnant to God that God wanted someone to close the door of the temple so that worship would cease. In verse 10 of Malachi 1, he said, Oh, that one of you would shut the door, the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you unless, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. <coughs> so which is it? Is it the most glorious thing we can do in our human life, or is it repugnant to God? Is it pleasing, or is it disappointing to God? And the truth is, it can be either one of those. It depends on both the attitude and the action of the worshiper. Worship in Malachi's day had become repugnant to God because 
the attitude of the worshipers, the believers who approached worship, their attitude was wrong. And also because of the abuses that they had fallen into in their realm of worship. It wasn't all about the Lord. It was so many other things that had come into play. And God said, I am not happy with you. At least one commentator said that the theme of the book of Malachi was the desire to call the people of God back to worthy worship, without which there could be no pleasing God and no prosperity for his people. What Malachi is trying to do as the prophet of God is to say, wake up. Wake up. Just your routine, the ritual, the tradition that you've been engaged in, taking these sacrifices and giving them to the Lord as some kind of act of worship, it's not meaningful. You don't have your heart in it. It's not what God wants. God is saying, that kind of worship is repugnant to me. Highly disappointing. In worship of our day, the most glorious action that could take place in human life, and it's up to you, and it's up to me. Do you think that's the way it is in most churches? I would dare say, not usually, but it can be. Malachi suggests some particular elements that if we were to engage with them and those elements and apply them to our life individually and as the body of Christ, we will find what real worship is all about. So the scripture, and Malachi in particular, says real worship is worship in which God is honored. If you go back to Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord says, A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am the master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. So it tells us that the true purpose of worship is to honor God. We might come for a lot of reasons, but the outset, the utmost, the pinnacle, the apex of our time of worship together should always come to honor God. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. He said, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. The psalmist wanted us to understand to come before God is to come and bow down before Him. There's the idea of respect, humility, that we aren't all that, but He is. And we come with a humble heart, a grateful heart. The fact that Malachi's contemporaries were not honoring God with their worship was the reason for the prophet's condemnation in this passage. In fact, you see it in Malachi chapter 2, verse 2. He says, if you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Here we are talking about the people of Israel. They had been blessed by God. We as the people of God have been blessed by God in so many ways. But what Malachi is trying to to get across, speaking directly as a spokesman for God, is that he is not being honored. A father will be honored, a master will be honored, but the creator of the universe, you are not honoring him. 
is what he's saying. This idea that I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings, what does that mean? It has the idea that we are blessed people, but things aren't going to go all that great for us. <laughs> the blessing is going to be nullified. Not our eternal life. We're, we will always have our eternal life if we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. But let me tell you, that inner peace and joy that we can have can be disrupted in so many ways. If we choose to turn, instead of focusing upon God in our lives and in our worship, our whole life can be turned upside down as believers. The most common Old Testament word for worship is shaha, which means to have a reverential attitude toward. And so when Malachi is talking to the people about their worship, he's saying you are not being reverent before the God Almighty. That's your attitude. It has just become second nature to you. You just do it out of uh, like being on an autopilot. Or you grumble when you have to do it. He says that's not being reverent to the one who created you. The basic New Testament word for worship is uh, pescunel. And uh, it means to kiss the hand towards one or prostrate oneself before. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament gives an idea that God deserves all the honor, all the respect, all the reverence from us who are the created beings, the one who he has offered and given salvation to everyone who would call upon his name. It should be a, a place of, of gratitude, an attitude that says, thank you, God. Thank you. And this is the time I can come together, whether in my private, personal worship or when I gather together with the body of, of Christ, the family of faith, to share. Thank you. In both cases, honoring God is the primary idea. Henry Ward Beecher was the pastor of Plymouth Church in Brooklyn many, many years ago. In fact, in that time, he was probably either the most or one of the most famous preachers in America. On a particular Sunday, he was gone, and he asked his brother Tom to come and fill the pulpit. And so, when it came time for the preacher to preach, Thomas got up from his seat, and he came to the pulpit, and when so many sightseers had seen that Henry Ward Beecher was not going to preach, they got up and they started exiting the worship center. And so Tom said this. He said, may I have your attention, please? All who came here this morning to worship Henry Ward Beecher, you can leave. Everybody that wants to worship God, you stay right here. Now listen, people come to a worship service for many reasons. They might want to come and hear the preacher. They want to, might want to, uh, to, uh, to find a, a new relationship, maybe even looking for a spouse. Uh, some want to connect with their friends. Others, they have a sense of duty or obligation that I've got to be there. Others, they see it as a place of, of uh, maybe getting their, <laughs> their business clientele up and running. Even others just want to see what somebody else is wearing today. <laughs> Who knows why people come? You know what I'm talking about because you're laughing. <laughs> you've, you've been there. Well, let me tell you, there is only one acceptable reason for coming to worship, 
And that is to give honor and praise to God. I appreciated Nancy and Lynn singing the song Heart of Worship. That's, that song's background uh, comes back to the late 1990s. It was written by a man by the name of Matt Redman. It was a direct response to Matt's home church in Watford, England, that was going through a time of apathy, just going through the motions. And despite that country's overall contribution to, to worship, his congregation was struggling, trying to find its, its meaning through its musical outpouring. And so Matt wrote afterward, he said this, there was a missing dynamic. So the pastor did something that was pretty brave. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the band for a season. And we gathered together just with our voices. His point was that we lost our way in worship. And the way back to the heart of worship would be to strip everything away. And it's just God and his people. And when that happened, the pastor asked this question. When you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? Matt said that the question in the beginning led to some very embarrassing moments of silence with the congregation. People didn't know what to say. What am I bringing? worship. He said, though, eventually, people began to break out into an a cappella song. The congregation would sing together. There were heartfelt prayers. I mean, when you come to that time of worship and you don't have anything else and you're just waiting in silence, how is God moving you? What are you going to bring to God yourself to give him honor and praise and glory? When everything is stripped away. And that church, over time, began to encounter a fresh way with God. Eventually, they added all of those elements back into their worship. But they understood again. That's, that was the very essence in those times of worship, Matt said. It just simply, that song described exactly what took place at our church. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. That's what worship ought to be. We make it into a lot of things, but when it's all stripped away, we gather together, as the early believers did, to do only one thing. And that's to join together in a congregational setting, together to lift up our voices in song to God, to hear his word, to hear what he desires. And we, in turn, come with grateful hearts to thank him. To thank him for what he's done. That's the key of what the psalmist said in Psalm 48, 1. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain.
So real worship is a worship in which God is honored. He also tells us in this passage that real worship is worship in which people are helped. In worship, people entreat God's favor that he might be gracious to the worshipers, to us. In Malachi 1.9, he said, Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands will he accept you. We come before God. He is not obligated to meet us here. He is not obligated to bless you. He is not obligated to make you feel good. We're obligated to give him honor and praise and glory. And we come because we are people in need. We are people that are going through real life with all kinds of problems. And the only one who can help us is God, the Creator. He might use other people and other means, but it's God who is the source to encourage and to help us. Listen, worship is not only designed to meet the demand of God, but it's also designed to meet the need of people. So how are people helped in worship? Well, for guilt, worship provides the opportunity for forgiveness. For loneliness, worship provides the opportunity with companionship with God. For weakness, worship provides the opportunity to tap into God's power through His Holy Spirit. For anxiety and fear, worship provides the opportunity to experience God's peace, that inner peace that nothing can eliminate. And for inconsistency, Worship provides the discipline that leads to stability in our lives. That's what worship can do for us. P.T. Forsyth once said that unless there is within us that which is above us, we will soon yield to that which is around us. You see, we don't want to yield to what's around us. We want the one who is above us to fill us. Worship is the supply channel of God's power. We worship correctly, individually or with the body of Christ. That channel of power, his spirit, energizes and charges us to be able to stand against Satan and to overcome the difficulties, whatever they are, within our life. Worship is not just for God's sake, it's for our sake. One person wrote, If you leave church with your faith stronger, your hope brighter, your love deeper, your sympathies broadened, your heart purer, and with your will more resolute to do the will of God than you have truly worshipped. It tells us something. It tells us that we need God to help us through life's difficulties. And you know what I mean, because there's not a one of us in this worship center or online that have not been in a place where we didn't know where else to turn, or we hit the bottom. And it could be through some kind of medical issue, financial issue, it could be things with our kids or our grandkids. I mean, there's a myriad of things that overwhelm us or can overwhelm us. God is always, always there to help us. Our connection with him, and I promise you, a worship that honors God will also be worship that helps us. The last thing that Malachi has said here 
is that real worship is worship in which sacrifice is heightened. Uh-oh. We got to that word, sacrifice. We like convenience. We like the ability to just pop in and pop out. Check off the box. Feel happy that, yep, I made it to church today. God desires more than that. One of the signs of the decadence of worship in Malachi's day was the polluted sacrifices which they were offering to God. He says in verse 13 of Malachi 1, And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. I don't know about you, but it kind of hits me right in the face. When I come before God, am I giving him just what's left over? I'm not talking about financially. I mean, that's one aspect of it. But I'm talking about of my time, of who I am. Is he down the list? But at least I made it. Are we, are we offering him in our worship? As in Malachi's day, when they went to worship God... Part of the, of the process of the Israelites was to offer a sacrifice. And God desired the best sacrifice. And yet, so many of the people had come to the place where they just decided they would give a, a lame lamb to the Lord. One that was diseased. I can't use that anyway, so we'll just give it to the Lord. put it into our day. Are we just giving him the leftovers of our time? Are we giving him the leftovers of what we think? The leftovers of who we are at the end of the week or the beginning of the week, however you look at a Sunday. Are we taking that, that hour, an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday and saying, this is what I got, God. That's it. You can see what he said to the worshipers in Malachi's day, which were people just like you and me. He asked the question, should I accept them from your hands? He said, try offering that to the governor. You think you'd get by with it? And yet you offer that to the creator of all. Malachi saw the priests, the religious leaders of the day, serving their own financial and ego needs. They looked the other way when people brought sacrifices that were substandard, didn't even meet the minimum standard of what God ought to get that shows their humility and their love for God. That was just how it was done in that day. And so they would bring the injured, the crippled, or the diseased and give them to God. But God demands the best that we have to offer. Every true worship experience demands a response on the part of the worshiper. If you have been to church, but you've never been compelled to give sacrificially, then you really haven't worshipped. And if you've been to a worship service, 
but you have never once felt the compulsion to say with Isaiah, here I am, God, send me, then you haven't truly worshipped. When we worship God and we come with everything that we have, there is expected an action on our part, a response on our part that says, God, I hear what you're saying. I am convinced of that, and I give myself to you. Whatever you want me to do, you are my top priority. And so, God, I, I give myself as a living sacrifice to you. Real worship is an encounter with God in which we are compelled to respond in some tangible way to his grace in our lives. And so when we worship, and we finish our time of worship together, and we walk out those doors, we shouldn't be the same. There should have been an action on our part, a response on our part that says, God, I have been moved in this way. You've spoken to me. I've had an encounter with you. God, I, I have moved forward spiritually and in my relationship with you, and I offer this. When Ezra spent the better part of a day reading the word of God to the people of Israel who were coming back to the promised land after being in captivity for so long, the Bible says that the people stood the entire time and they wept. You talk about a worship experience on reading the Word of God, and all the people did was stand and weep. That was an action. That was a response to the encounter with God. When Peter preached in Acts at Pentecost, and he preached an elongated sermon, but the people cried out, What shall we do? There's a response needed when we worship. We come here before Almighty God. He expects a response on our part if he has encountered us, and we have come with that rightful attitude. On the day that Peter preached, 3,000 souls came to know Christ. That's a response. A tangible response is what he's asking for. Not just something in our mind, but something that causes us to change. So worship is a central part of the experience of being a Christian. And so we should worship, not just to pacify our peers, not just to please the pastor. We should worship to honor God. We should worship to help ourselves grow spiritually. And we should worship to stimulate our responsiveness to God, whose children we are. <laughs> He's our Father, the Creator. Friends, that's real worship. And I'm asking you to hear what God is saying to you. And we're going to end our sermon time, asking you to stand, and with that idea of honoring God and being helped, to sing two hymns with us before we have our invitation, and I want you to sing it from the bottom of your heart, and ask God, God, I don't want these to be meaningless words that I know from memory because I know these songs well, 
I want you to sing them because you mean them. And they're an aroma of praise to God, lifted up to Him. You don't even have to look up here. You can just look to the heavens or bow your heads, however you want to do it. But this is your time to worship God, to truly worship Him.
you to, if you would, join us in singing our invitation hymn. You've worshipped God today. God has probably spoken to you. I'm going to be here at the front. If there is a decision of accepting Christ, rededicating your life to Him, joining this church, whatever it is, as God has spoken to you as an action step, a tangible step, you come if you would. singing. Be seated if you would for just a moment. I'm going to go ahead and uh, uh, Nancy, I'll turn it over to you and then we'll introduce our, our new membership. There are two sign-up sheets for you to take note of today. One is only in the main lobby and that is for the Bible Museum trip which will be on Thursday the 18th. It's limited to 12 in the morning and 12 in the afternoon with lunch in between. But you will find that out on the counter in the main lobby. The Bible Museum is out in a hotel in the city of Goodyear. So it'll be a little bit of trek, but I think that you will be blessed by it. There's also a sign up in both lobbies, the small and the main lobby, for the movie lunch. 
That will be on August the 25th, just before we see the movie Barabbas. On the back of your bulletin and in your upbeat for August, which I suspect most of you have received by now, on the front page, experience a taste of Israel on Wednesday the 17th at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary. It will be a concert by One Lev, which is a Messianic Jewish musical group, and they are coming to do a presentation on a love offering basis. I hope that you will plan to be part of that. And then the following Wednesday, the 24th at 4 o'clock in the CLC, the Christian Life Center, we will have dinner, an Italian-themed dinner from Olive Garden, and you need to purchase a ticket for that. It's 7.50, that is a very reduced rate, but the tickets are on sale today out in the small lobby. So if you haven't already gotten yours, I hope that you will take time to stop and pick yours up. And then after we eat that evening, Joel and Carolyn McElreath, who served in Israel as missionaries for 25 years, will be sharing a presentation. So a lot of good things are happening, and I hope you will take advantage of all those that you were able to. Thank you. Don, Kim, y'all want to come and stand right here? I appreciate that very much. Don and Kim Williams, they have been uh, our guests now for about, well, since about mid-June, I believe. They're very thorough in investigating what we believe and, uh, and talking about, uh, you know, what they were looking for and how they could serve the Lord. And God has led them to come and, uh, and this morning to come forward on the statement of faith. And uh, they have both accepted Christ. They've both already been uh, baptized by immersion. And so this morning we would accept them by that statement. All in favor, if you'd show that by the sign aye. aye. If you're against that sign no, yeah, we've got a, still a streak going here. That's good. <laughs> No, no no's in 40 years. I like that. <laughs> well, listen, our folks are going to come in just a moment when we have our closing prayer, and they're going to give you what we call the right hand of Christian fellowship, uh, basically meaning that uh, they're going to come and say welcome to your church family, your home. And secondly, we're going to be working beside you and praying with you in these days ahead. Okay? All right. Have you uh, been to a, uh, one of our Bible studies um, at 9 o'clock yet? Uh-huh. And which one was that? What did you go today? Oh, service? Jack, come on. Come on down, Jack, Debbie. These are our, our Bible study leaders there. Three times? Okay, all right. Well, you can join that class anytime that you want. Today, you did, okay? Okay, all right, good job. <laughs> they did it today. All right, well, let's stand. We'll have our closing time of prayer. And uh, you guys, let's just worship through the week, okay? We'll gather back together next Sunday, and what a celebration that will be. Doyle Miller from the choir will be leading us in our closing prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you today to honor and to glorify your most holy name. Father, we thank you for the blessing and the opportunity to come together to observe this ordinance, to hear the word that you have for us and to study your word in peace and safety. Father, we thank you for these who have come to join our fellowship. We ask that you continue to bless them. And we ask, Father, that 
you bless this nation. Give our leaders the wisdom, the knowledge to guide us in the direction you would have us to go. And we bring all this to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 